And maybe we've been called together as a group of people to represent Jesus to our culture. What does God think about education? And you consider that every major Ivy League school that we tout as the epitome and the, the apex of learning in our nation, every one of them was started by churches. Go and walk on the campus of Harvard today and you'll still see across their buildings. They have not removed it. It's not been canceled yet. The buildings say, to the glory of God. What does God think about justice? I can guarantee you it's not what the Republicans or the Democrats think. Because he himself said, anything that's got an unjust scale is an abomination in my sight. So maybe while we have been clamoring for a seat at the table of power, God's been breaking up the ground in a people. Maybe it's a remnant. Maybe it's a few. I think it's more and more. I think it's becoming more and more every day who will all of a sudden begin to represent him to the world that they live in. The slogan of this house for many years has been we were called to make Jesus famous. My question is, which one? Which Jesus? Are we going to make, are we going to make my Republican Jesus famous or my Democrat Jesus famous or my conservative Jesus or my progressive Jesus? Or are we going to make Jesus famous? Because I, 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 I believe this to the core of my being. If we really preach Jesus, everybody leaves mad. Because Jesus will not let you marginalize and disadvantage people and say it doesn't matter what happens over here to folks that can't pay their bills and don't get their lights on and don't know how to feed their kids and don't care where they're educated. Nor will Jesus let you get your identity from your ethnicity or from the neighborhood you came from or from the gated community you live behind. Which Jesus are we going to make famous? Maybe God's calling us in this hour to represent Jesus. And so my passage today, as I get ready to close, is this. It's a verse we lean on. This verse is even quoted by people that don't even know him. I get amazed at politicians who quote out of a book they've never read. Because it's conducive for votes. But here's what Solomon said. Lord, I want to make sure that your eye will always be on this house, the temple, the place. In that days, it was a physical building because that was the place in symbolic reasoning or in typology. The temple was where God dwelled. But 
move that forward into a New Testament experience, come beyond the cross. And Jesus comes along and he says, I don't now dwell in buildings made with man's hands, for you are lively stones who are built together to become the habitation of God. You want to know when this building became really sanctified this morning? When you got here. Do you want to know when God's presence filled this house? When you got here. Do you want to know when God entered Clewiston? When you moved here. Because we're lively stones who become built together to become the habitation, the dwelling place of the Lord. But Solomon prayed this prayer. He said, Father, I want to make sure that your eye will always be on your temple place of your presence, the representation of all that you are in the earth. I want to make sure that your eye will always be on it. I've built you a house of splendor. It's grandiose. It's amazing. The whole world showed up. The Queen of Sheba, who was one of the wealthiest people in history, came to see what Solomon had built and she said the half has not been told me when I see the splendor of the thing that is the place of representation of all that he is she said I was left breathless my breath left my body when I saw the splendor and the order and the demonstration of the beauty we see that as a place to go visit somewhere in the Middle East. But the real reality is we, we go visit cathedrals and St. Peter's Square and all these places and go, wow, this is me. What architecture? But we have to realize God was trying to talk to us in pictures. He was not really interested in the fact that the, that the stonemasons had done a great job. He was saying to us, there's coming a day when I will always have a temple in the earth, but it's not going to be in Jerusalem and it's not going to be on Zion. It's going to be in Clewiston and Moorhaven and Belglade and South Bay and West Palm and Fort Myers. And, and the world, when they show up at the real temple that I'm building, they're going to lose their breath and go, I've never seen a group of people like these people in my life. I've never seen anybody that does things the way they do things because they are countercultural. It's not normal. It doesn't look like everybody else. So Solomon said, Father, will you always keep your eye, your favor on this house? God responds to his prayer. God says to him, Solomon, just know this. If I ever shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. How many of you realize he's talking to an agrarian society? I have to, I have to explain this in a city called Oklahoma City, but to people that live in the glades, like three amens. I, in other words, he's talking to a farming community. They understand the value of water. I was raised outside of D.C. When I left and came to South Florida, I didn't realize that there was water management. I didn't realize you had to have water rights. Where I grew up, it just flowed out of the mountains. Streams just came out of rocks. It flowed everywhere. There was What do you mean water management? I got the yard hose in the back and run it all day long slip and slide 
I didn't know you had to manage it. But when you're in a farming community, you realize that your economics and your future and everything about what you're going to be able to barter with and trade with and, and build with is dependent upon rain. And God was saying this, if I ever bring you to a time where your economy is no longer on autopilot and things are not automatically just working and you feel like, man, I can't make this economy restart itself. Or if you ever get to the place where I send locusts and it devours the land. Locusts are, are, are bugs that move in swarms. Mobs. You see, if you ever come to a place where the land all of a sudden looks like mobs are everywhere and everything they touch gets ruined. And you think, what are they thinking? He said, or if pestilence fills your land. Virus, plagues. Solomon, if you ever see any of that stuff, then just know this. If my people No, 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 no. Not senators and House of Representative members and governors and mayors. If my people, if ordinary housewives who are home doing homeschooling and don't know what to do with their day, if my people, if 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 principals, if business people, if if farmers, if my people. In other words, the solution is right here in those three words, if my people. Maybe we should not be looking all out there for an answer. Maybe we should once again present ourselves to the altar of the Lord and say, what am I doing as his representative in the earth. If my people, comma, which are called, English language, which are called by my name, Hebrew language, which are under the call Or even more clearly, which are under the calling or the signaling or the invitation of my authority and my power. Because names represent things. See, how many of you know that there are, there are law enforcement officers in this room? How many of you know that if, if you, if me, Tony, let's say I'm, let's say I'm, a, I'm, I'm a sheriff or I'm a I'm an FBI agent. How many of you know that if I just show up at your front door and say, hey, Tony's here, I need to come talk to you. You go, I ain't got time, shut the door. But how many of you know if you say, I'm here and I am from the Henry County Sheriff's Department, I need to speak to you. All of a sudden, because of that name, everything that you're talking to changes. Because now you're under the summonsing and you're under the invitation and you're under the authority name that has more authority 
with my people who are called by my name. Here's what I came to tell you. What God is looking for is people who recognize why the church is here. The church is not here to fight over whether or not we can social distance. The church is not here to fight over whether or not we need to wear masks. The church is here, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 10, he said, I left the church in the earth so that they would demonstrate to powers and principalities the manifold wisdom of God. When the world gets confused about how to deal with issues, they don't have to look to all kinds of other houses. They can look to my house and they'll see how my people conduct themselves and they'll find out how life begins to flow into people. He left us here to represent him. And I don't, I don't have time to unpack all this, but he said one of the ways they represent me is you'll find out that there'll be people who live in humility. That means they won't be throwing shade on Facebook. Because there's people that say things about certain people behind the barriers of a Facebook address that they would never say face to face. That does not make you courageous, it makes you stupid. Worse yet, it makes us all a bad representation of who God is. If I go to work and tell people I'm a follower of Christ, and then somebody mistreats me, and I want to cuss them out and tell them off, I just came to an intersection. help. I'm going to preach to Porter. I just, I just came to an intersection. Because see, God needs some people in the earth that will say, you know what? I can humble myself. Because it's more important for me to be reconciled than to be right. Because after all, I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So see, he said a mark on them is that they'll humble themselves. He said they'll pray. I asked a whole group of young people this past week. They're all mid-20s. They're all in some kind of ministry. They got some, in fact, they stand on big stages. And they were seeking, they come to meet with me about some counsel about what they should do next with, with, with things that they're doing. And I looked at them and I said, what do you feel when you pray? And they looked at me like I had just hit them with a bus. Like, what do, you, what do you mean? I'm like, you stand on a platform and lead people in worship every week, but what do you do, when, what do you feel when you pray for your own personal life? 
Well, I don't really do that. I just try to get the song list together, and I try to do. And I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about what you do when you're on stage. I'm talking about how do you get your steps ordered? How do you decide whether to say yes or no? How do you make decisions? Because the Bible says, "Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths." The difference about the people of God is that they don't spout opinions before they go to an altar and pray. I wonder how many things we should have been praying about rather than fussing about. I wonder if the real hope of our nation is not an election but a prayer room. See, here's what's going to happen. There are Christians that are very, very nervous right now because they don't know how this is all going to go, and it could blow up in our face. And here's what's going to happen. If it goes the way the quote-unquote conservative Christian world wants it to go, then come November 5th, we're all going to go, shoo, praise the Lord, I ain't got to do that for four more years. And the world will continue to degenerate further and further down the spiral because what God is needing is not a certain president. What God is needing is a people. If my people, which are called by my name, the future of Clewiston is based in the hearts of people sit in chairs just like this every single week who say, you know what? I'll live humbly. I'll pray and seek God. I'll seek his face, not his hand. I'll seek his favor, his presence, and I will turn from everything in me that's wicked and and then God will hear from heaven. He will forgive the things in me. I'm going to quit worrying about my brother's sin and start worrying about my sin. He'll forgive my sin and he will heal the environment. Then the land will begin to be healed. But it begins with if my people. Just stand with me. Stand with me. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Elevation requires separation. Let me try that one more time. You want to go higher? You want to go further? Elevation requires separation. We just installed a new city ministries director at our church. His name is Songo. He's a Nigerian guy. He's married. He's been raised up in our church. Songo was not a Christian when I came to Oklahoma City. He was a partier. And he played small forward for Oklahoma State University. And I walked in a room one day with 10 guys that were not walking really with Jesus. Most of them were not really walking with Jesus. And I just said to them, like I did in 1987 with several people that are in this room, I'm going to take you on a journey. If you walk with me, God's going to change your life. Because I think you're confused about who Jesus is. you got a church Jesus, but you don't have a personal Jesus.
See, that's not just true for teenagers and young people or college kids. That's true for business people in this room. You put Jesus on when you put your clothes on this morning, came to church, got your, got your church Jesus, then tomorrow you'll go back to your business affairs and conduct them your way. You wouldn't say this out loud, but by implication, it's, I can take it from here, Jesus. But I was talking with, with Songo and another young man that was in that room that day who's now getting ready to become a part of our team as well, who actually became a tennis pro. He's actually, was an instructor at the second largest uh, country club in our city, played on the pro circuit. And here's what they said to me, Bishop. When Songo got to go to play at OSU, which is a huge basketball school for the Midwest, Big 12, he said, we didn't see him for weeks. He said, he's a little bit older than me, so we'd go partying on Friday night. We'd go out and hang out, do what we were doing. Songo wouldn't come. He said, we'd go, where's Songo? And he said, we'd ride by the gym at 10.30 at night and Songo's in there trying to figure out his drop step because he understood if he wanted to elevate he's going to have to separate so I heard a guy this week he made this statement he said if you don't know what to do figure out where the mob's going and go the other direction because that's probably where success is going to be. Because if your life is being led by everybody else's opinion, they don't have your lane to run in. How many of you know, watch this, separation. Everybody just say separation. He's drawing a distinction here when he says, if my people, He's drawing a clear distinction. Watch this. Not people who are better. People who are different. I'm not any better than whoever burnt property in Portland last night. Because the minute, watch this, the minute I dehumanize my enemies I make myself superior I'm not any better than the guy who slept under a bridge last night I'm no better than the couple who are fighting at home trying to figure out how to get their marriage together and come in here and smile and nobody knows the hell that's going on behind closed doors. I'm no different than the father who's saying, I don't know what to do with these kids. I'm no better. But I can be different. I can be different. That's what, that's what God told Solomon. You want the land to be healed? You notice he didn't say, I'm going to heal you. Because the promises of God are never individual. They're corporate. God doesn't want you to get your blessings and all of Clueston go to hell in a handbasket. 
He doesn't even want your family to be blessed and not care about what your neighbor's family happens to them and what happens to the people that don't have the advantage you have. Right. He said, but here's what's going to happen. If my people, if there's a corporate group of people who begin to act distinct, I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive Everything in their life has not been like me. And when that happens, the environment, I'm going to heal the environment. Let me tell you, and I'm done with this. We're going to sing. Separation is the price you pay to say yes to God. Joseph, you want to be prime minister in Egypt? Yes, God. And I got a dream. Okay. Let me separate you from your brothers. No, no, not, not, not separate you through what you think is elevation. Let me separate you through a pit, a prison. And then I'll bring you to a palace. See, the old songwriter said it this way. I'll say yes to your will. And I'll say yes to your way. Most people want to do the will of God their way. Separation is the price we pay to say yes to God. Do you realize that the Bible says in Genesis 45, verse number 7, when Joseph was sold, he didn't get sold by enemies, he got sold by brethren. When he got lied on, he got lied on by a person he was blessing. When he got forgotten in prison, he got forgotten by a man he had helped. Because God was drawing a distinction. There's something about my people that when they're misused, abused, forgotten, forsaken, they don't look around for help, they look up. So I want to ask you today, what's God trying to separate you from? So you can represent Jesus. Maybe it's a tradition. Maybe it's an attitude. For some of you in this room, it might be sin. For some, it may just be, you know what? I'm just so daggone independent. I want to do what I want to do. But it's killing my family destroying my kids.
your sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with Service has gone a little long today. I don't know what time we normally have. My place has gone a little long. Maybe it's normally. But such a presence has been here today. But here's my here's my call today. You know, I grew up going to youth camps and conferences where everybody would tell the stories of people that gave their life and sacrificed, became martyrs for Christ question is always asked if if the world becomes so upside down that you have to die for your faith would you be willing to it's a big question we never thought we'd face that question in America but it's getting closer and closer it seems but my question today is not will you die for Jesus my question today is will you live for Because if you'll live for him, dying for him will not be a problem. Will you live for him in how you lead your life, how you make your decisions, how you represent him in this city, in your business deals, how you conduct your affairs with people when you are at disagreements with them? When you don't understand their choices, will you live for Him? Will you be a sanctuary? Will you be that temple in the earth that's pure, holy, tried, tested, proven, so the world can say, that's what Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that all over this room we with sincere hearts will answer that question. We hear your call today. 
we hear your call to radically and intensely be different. Not weird, distinct, countercultural. When the world wants to be proud and arrogant, we choose to humble ourselves. When the world wants to be defensive and argumentative, we choose to pray. When the world chooses to chase success and fame and notoriety, we choose to seek your face. When the world seeks to justify their evil ways, we seek to turn from them because we want to live for Jesus. With thanksgiving